0: morning, SunWest. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent, Hope, uh, where, if you're like me, I am looking forward to being home for Christmas, you know, with all of its complexities and the joys and the chaos. You know, just over a year ago, we uprooted ourselves from Vancouver, and we left our two oldest kids uh, in Vancouver and moved back home to Calgary. Uh, after 25 years of living on the West Coast. And over the past month, we've once again moved house, hopefully for good this time. And you know after how after a trip, uh, it takes a while to let your uh, spirit catch up to your body? Well, that's how I feel right now. And so I'm really looking forward to just being home for Christmas. Our two daughters will join us for some weeks during their Christmas break, and so we're really looking forward to Uh, investing a lot of together time as a reunified family. And now, if you or your family is anything like ours, uh, you might enjoy games. Anyone enjoy games? Table games in particular, card games, uh, or even, uh, you know, dominoes, things like that. Anyone? Yeah, I see a lot of hands. I used to like Monopoly, but how about Settlers of Catan? Any? Fans of settlers? How about Puerto Rico? Anyone like that strategy game? Anyone even heard of that game? You know, these are strategy board games. And what about the classic game, Risk? Anyone into Risk? Yeah. If you want to start an argument, Monopoly's pretty good, but Risk kind of takes the cake, right? I remember as we grew up and grew our family up as well, we'd take Risk camping. And what a great place to do it, right? Because, especially on trips with extended family, because a whole bunch of people would gather around the campfire and we'd set this up, and the game would go into the early hours of the morning. Of course, everyone would lose it, especially if there was only one winner. Anyway, sometimes the, the board would go flying, pieces would go flying. And so, you know, ultimately, alliances would be forged and then broken as different colors or nations vied for territory on that map, you know, which was a map of the world. The, the point of the game was that you'd have to take over that whole map. And, you know, eventually... Some of my kids learned, hey, let's make an alliance with Dad, and then we'd end the game after we finished taking over the whole board. And so it'd be kind of like a giant alliance and be great. Other times, we've heard that there have been families uh, that just totally broke out in major fights, and so we, we kind of like banned that game for a little bit. Well, in the real world, a country is made up of more than just lines on a map, right? more than just plots of land. A country has a way of living. It has language groups, it has styles of government, economy which is quite complex, a history and a heritage, traditions. It has a way of doing things with others, which we call foreign policy. And each country has influence of one kind or another, which influences how other nations relate to that particular country. Take Russia. For example, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news uh, lately, but since February of 2014, it has been massing troops and military on its border with the Ukraine, mainly in the southeast corner on the Crimean Peninsula to maintain access to the Black Sea. That has raised the alarm for the West. NATO, all the alliance countries of the West uh, form NATO, and they have responded to Russian aggression with financial uh, sanctions. Well, take a step back. Basically, the kingdoms of this world are more than mere places on a map, but they are on a map. They are physical, geographical, and identifiable realities. So, where is the kingdom of Christ in all of this? Where is the kingdom of Christ? The author of the book, Reunion, Bruxy Cavey, tells us the kingdom of Christ is actually off the map, in a matter of speaking. The idea of kingdom was very important to Jesus. He said things like, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. For Jesus, the good news, the gospel, had something to do with the coming of the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible summarizes the entire message of Jesus as the good news of the kingdom. Jesus' message is the good news of the kingdom. According to Jesus, this kingdom that he refers to is not a physical place, nor is it a plot of land, although we actually live it out locally in the physical world. The kingdom of God is a way of living with Jesus as our king. It's a way of being part of what he's doing in the world, no matter where we live geographically, or what culture or what language group that we belong to. So it can be in the middle of Saudi Arabia, or communist China, or North Korea, or Israel, or France, the U.S., even Southeast Calgary. How about that? The kingdom of God is literally off the map. For Jesus, the word kingdom refers to a realm of relationship with God. With relationship with God and then with others that is in harmony with God's will and his way. The kingdom of living is by no means an easy task. But it's the most satisfying way to live. Why? Because it resonates with who and how we were made to be in God's design. The kingdom of God is not controlled by any earthly borders or boundaries, but it has representatives. It has embassies within earthly kingdoms. In other words, citizens of Christ's kingdom identify as Christ's representatives, more than as citizens of the country in which they reside. Now, I may identify as a Chinese Canadian. I was born here, I was born in Calgary, so I'm actually a prairie boy. Although I've lived in other countries like Japan, I've lived on the West Coast, in my heart, in my mind, my priorities and practices, my primary aspiration and aim and my identity is as a Christ follower. I've been commissioned by my true king, not our PM, by our true king, to represent Jesus' kingdom to the people I live with, the people I work with, the people I reside with. And my hope is that my Christian priorities and principles and values come before those of mine which are Canadian. Now, it doesn't mean I don't cherish my nationality. I love being a Canadian, okay, but it means more than maple syrup. It means more than poutine, the Rocky Mountains, and hockey, even Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) I love Jesus and his values and his way. SunWest Church, our church, okay, our faith fellowship is just like any other church. It's an embassy in a foreign land, where the culture of Christ can be cultivated and experienced by anyone who visits. Every Christ follower is part of a growing movement of people worldwide who refuse to let the kingdom of this world, whether it's political or religious, whether it's ethnic or economic kingdoms, we refuse to let those kingdoms diminish the love that they live out toward one another. Friends, Jesus doesn't only offer to save us from something, but to something. I think that's been mentioned before by Matt. One way of identifying that something is the kingdom of God. This good news of the kingdom is one of the most exciting, yet most neglected dimensions of the good news of Jesus. The good news should not be boiled down to just four points, or even one verse, although it can be. Most of these points or uh, verses stop short of talking about this life-altering Good news. The kingdom of God is a holistic concept that keeps the gospel engaged in the world in which we live, rather than just make people wish for the next world. The kingdom to which we belong will actually shape our reality. It will shape our loyalties. Who's our king? What's our country? It'll shape the laws with which we abide, like how we discern what is right and wrong. shape our lifestyle, in other words, how we live and what our cultural norms are, what we do on a daily basis. So when explaining the good kingdom to religious people in his day, Jesus had to distinguish between his kingdom and the kind of kingdom that people were expecting. Many assumed that God's kingdom on earth would be a physical kingdom, established by force, not unlike a risk board. People believed that when the Messiah came, he would be a kind of warrior king who would make it all happen. Religious people often want God to bring about an earthly, religio-political kingdom by any means necessary. Much like Israel during the Old Testament times, or Rome during the New Testament times, or as some religious terror organizations are trying to establish today. Not just the Ten Rings. Jesus explained it this way the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's found in Luke 17, 20 to 21. Pay attention here. Two observations you just want to make in what Jesus is saying. Number one, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, it is not a visible structure, it's not a geographical location. We don't establish the kingdom of God in a specific place with buildings and armies and politics and hierarchies of power. It's not a religious organization. That is not the kingdom of God. Nor is the kingdom a political party. The kingdom goes far deeper than that, and that's just number one. Number two, second observation. The kingdom of God is in your midst. In the original Greek, one can translate it as the kingdom of God is within all of you. You being plural. In short, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of Christ is a way of living that, A, exists within the hearts of people, of individuals, and B, is expressed through the relationships between those individuals. That is the kingdom of God. So another way to read Luke 17, 21 would be the kingdom of God is inside you all together. A kingdom is, after all, made up of individuals, but it is never experienced all alone. It is always personal, but it is never private. The kingdom of God has come near, Mark one fifteen says. Now, the original Greek in this sentence literally means that the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, Jesus brings God's kingdom so close that we can reach out and actually touch it. The kingdom of God is at hand. We can grab a hold of it, and we can enter into it. And it, it's good, that's the good news of the kingdom. We can actually participate in it today, right now. We don't have to wait till we die and go to heaven. So we can participate in God's will and God's way on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have to wait until we die. That's good news. Jesus's message isn't primarily about how to go to heaven, although we do, we do go to heaven when we die, and that's wonderful. That's a wonderful part of eternal life. But it is not strictly about after we die. Jesus's message is about heaven coming to earth while we live. And so what does Jesus teach us in the Lord's Prayer? His prayer. Anyone know? Let's read it out loud. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The way Jesus uses it, kingdom is a relational word. It orients us. It orients our relationships in terms of a king. He is the higher power. He is the one who with whom that we have this relationship with, and that we get our orders, our marching orders from. It orients our other subjects within the kingdom, and it orients other kingdoms. If Jesus is Lord, what does that mean in orienting us and the world around us? Being an active part of the kingdom of Christ will influence how we relate to other kingdoms such as the country in which we live, and the kingdoms of culture, the kingdoms of politics, the kingdoms of business, the kingdoms of economics. If Jesus is Lord, how will that orient us with respect to those kingdoms? There is no aspect of life that is untouched by the kingdom of Christ if we let it. That's if we let it. Being a citizen of Christ's kingdom will mean standing opposed to any ideas, any attitudes, any influences, and any emotions or spiritual forces that are anti-human and anti-God. And I struggle with the emotional part, especially when you're on Deerfoot Trail and someone just cuts right in front of you. Few can relate. The thing is, if we embrace Jesus as our king, then the kingdom of God is actually within us but it is never intended for us to hold on to just for ourselves, not just to be kept in our pockets. We are meant to actually live out the reality of the kingdom in our own lives, in our own relationships, and in our own priorities. In Christ's kingdom, love wins over legalism. Law is shaped by culture. It is case-specific, whereas love is universally applicable. This did not make Jesus very popular with his contemporaries, especially the religious elite in his day. Religious folk, including the most dedicated, they like rules. It's predictable. Patterns are safe and clear. On one occasion, Jesus was approached by a religious leader and asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? It was kind of a test, the leader asked. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law, all the law, and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You can find that in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law. And the prophets hang on these two commandments. On the surface, it sure looks like it's incredibly simple. But if we look beneath the surface, if we dig a little bit deeper, we'll see that it's also incredibly profound. Jesus doesn't separate love for God from love for one another. He doesn't separate them. They're put together. And near the end of his life, Jesus wanted to emphasize to his disciples the need to fuse their love for God together with practical, caring, other-centered love for one another that he gave so much that he gave a new commandment, and he says this. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. Repeats it over and over again. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, you are my followers, my students, if you love one another. Now, the early church embraced this new code and adopted the love others above all ethic as the sum total of the law of the land in the kingdom of Christ. Can we go there? Many religions have pious practices designed to please God, trips to holy shrines, daily prayers at specific times, holy ceremonies in holy buildings led by holy people dressed in holy garbs, while they perform holy rituals. But for Christ followers, simply loving others as Jesus does, that is our highest form of worship and our central practice of our faith. Loving others. Loving others as Jesus does, now that is our highest form of worship of God. We are citizens of a new nation that crosses all boundaries. National boundaries, racial boundaries. This nation has its own culture of inclusion and embrace. This nation, this kingdom of Christ. When God reigns in our lives, peace is the result. Peace between ourselves and with God. Peace between ourselves and with others. Peace within ourselves. We call this shalom peace with the world around us, it's it's incredible if we can experience Jesus as our King, and we fall in his footsteps, we start to reconcile with the world around us, with the people around us, with ourselves, not just with God. But what does that look like at home first? How do we practice love with our neighbors? How many of you actually take time to say hi to your neighbors? You, just, you don't have to answer that. I just want you to reflect on that. It's easy, especially when we have our garages or our underground parquet, to just park and walk right into our space. But how many, how many of us actually have built-in margins to actually interact with our neighbors and just find out who they are, their name, their first name? Never mind what they do and what they like, but just greet them. Even with a nod, back in Vancouver, we had a, a neighbor, let's call him John. He was a veteran. He had a good heart, but he had an exterior that was akin to a, a cactus, right? He said whatever was on his mind, and he didn't seem to have a filter. One of those really friendly people. For example, when he found out that we had just moved into the, onto the street, Waverly Avenue, 10 years ago, he said, So, you're the pastor, I went, oh boy, here we go. Welcome here. Just don't shove any of your religion down my throat. I said, John, you have my word. I won't shove any of my religion down your throat. Yet after a month of listening to him as he bantered, as we have kind of talked with each other, as we greeted one another, he said, hey, would you mind asking that big guy up there something for me? He went on to share some things. Because I just lent an ear. Not once did I preach. Not once did I open my Bible to him. Not once did I give him a verse. Never once did I say, should, you should. I never said that. I just listened. He said, hey, Dave, would you ask that big guy up there something for me? I could have pushed back. I could have protected my time and my energy from this caustic guy who often ranted about his fellow neighbors. Of course, then I was thinking, you know, if he's ranting about his neighbors with me, I wonder what he's saying about me with them. But I just gave him some space. A little bit of time, and I listened. Friends, just like in the board game Risk, real-life earthly kingdoms go to war to acquire land and resources that come with that land. The kingdom of Christ also wants to advance But the land that we fight for, friends, is the space of separation between one another. The space of separation that is between us and our neighbors, or our co-workers, or the people that we live and reside with. That is what we're fighting for. The land that we as Christ followers fight for are the barriers that are between us. In other words, reconciliation is at the heart of Jesus' good news, and so, We will fight hard to help broken relationships. We will fight hard to help relationships with God and with each other to be reconciled. And what this means is that our kingdom warfare is not against other people. It's not against other people, but for other people. Not against other people, but for other people. Amen? Did you hear the difference there? And this is the challenge. Our humanity often gets in the way. When John says, hey, Dave, how is it going? I'm like, oh, my goodness, here we go again. We fight any power, political and social or spiritual, that divides rather than unites or that promotes hate rather than love. And we do this in ways that treat people not as the enemy but as victims of the true enemy. I had to go into my head and go, you know what? This guy has suffered something, and that is why he's... He's got a vocabulary of a whole bunch of four-letter words. And he has to share them with me all the time. Maybe because I'm just there. And I'm a receptacle for his attention. But maybe it's because he feels safe with me. I'm not sure. Regardless, I gave him a little bit of space. And beyond that invective, he actually let me into his life. Dave, can you talk to that big guy upstairs for me? All we have to do is create a little bit of space, and that breaks a barrier, when oftentimes we just want to say, you know what, I, have time. I don't have time for this. Time is one of those barrier breakers. Friends, I'm gonna challenge us to make some margins just to say hi to your neighbor. Once again, my neighbor John. There were days that he was pretty racist, to be quite frank. He told another neighbor down the street, why don't you go back to where you came from? I was just like, ooh, the irony was, you know, although he directed this verbal abuse to this Asian elderly lady, she was actually born in Vancouver, and she was about 90. So I'm like, dude, he was a Can- she was a Canadian before you were. Like, do the math. John later said to me, to my face, Dave, don't you think the street is becoming more Chinese? Kind of took a step back, looked at him and. Then I kind of looked at myself in my phone, and I'm like, I'm, I'm Chinese. Canadian. In my thought bubble, a few options went through my mind, like, are you blind, buddy? Then A, you know what, I can just do a judo flip, like just put him on his back, and that would make me feel just gratified. And I would have been actually pretty happy with that. And it might have made me feel good in the moment, but you know what, that wouldn't end well. Nix that idea. Be, I could retort with a quick and witty quip, right? I could just say something witty, swear at him, call him you redneck, whatever. But that would erase anything I've ever said to him about Jesus. And that would actually destroy my witness to him. So, next that. See, I had to put my fight instinct down. You know how you fight or flight? Well, I was like ready to take him off. Like, come on, buddy, bring it. My carnal desire for vengeance was just at under the surface. And I let that microaggression sit there. And instead, I let it sit in silence. I let him go, I wonder if he heard what he actually said to me. And I think he did, because after a while he went, Oh, I mean, uh, this neighborhood's changing. <laughs> I'm like, Duh, yeah, of course it's changing. But giving him that space to think, giving yourself that space and time to kind of cool, actually acted as a tool to break that barrier down. Friends, I'm going to challenge us. When someone says something to you that just incites a reaction, take a moment to step back and go, okay, God, here is an opportunity. I really need your help here. Here's an opportunity to listen or to be heard. And instead, I, after a few moments, I said, hey, what, what makes you say that, John? And instead of a conversation stopper, it was a conversation opener. And we continued to converse. So instead of choosing to fight, and trust me, the physical inclination was to clobber him, I chose to listen. I chose to view my neighbor, John, as a victim to the social power of racism. He was ultimately a victim of the enemy, capital E. If I had to choose that, that's the power that we as Christ followers have in that moment. We have the power of choice. Isn't that love? We have a choice, not hate. John was in need of rescue, not retaliation. Have you ever had an encounter like that? Maybe in the parking lot of Walmart? Think on that for just a moment. Again, I I have to personally, constantly remind myself that our fight is not against people. It's for people. But it's against ideas. Our fight is against powers. And some ideas are just plain bad, sucky ideas. These bad ideas are anti-love, anti-God, who is love. And in the end, through the transformation of our minds, Our motivation is clear. We love truth, or if we love truth, if we love God, and if we love people, then we have to put this fight for people, not against people. Amen? If God is our king, that is our fight. Let's love people too much to let them continue in slavery to bad ideas. For me, this is one of the hardest parts of kingdom living. As ambassadors for the kingdom of Christ, we are called to love our enemies. Anyone find that easy? Loving your enemies? I'm the only one who finds this difficult. No, I think, I think we all do. It's difficult, but because it is the will of our king, it is the way of Christ. following culture it is it is the foreign policy of our king. What is the goal if that is our foreign policy? To love our enemies. What is the goal? It's reconciliation. Love for our enemies or enemy love goes against our culture's understanding of conflict management, right? Which is usually strike hard, strike first, no mercy, sir. You know, Karate Kid. Come on, Karate Kid. I love that movie. If reconciliation is the goal for Christ followers, then we fight for the goal by loving people. Love is our only tactic as Christians, as Christ followers. It may not always work right away. Love doesn't always work right away. Jesus lived this radical, nonviolent enemy love in the way that he lived and that he died. He taught us that this was the only way to advance his kingdom. You have heard that it was said, Jesus said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And listen to this part here. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with them two miles. Two miles. It's radical, isn't it? This is Jesus' teaching. When we actively turn the other cheek, we remind our attacker of the facts. We are not a passive punching bag, but a person with the power of choice, and we can choose love, friends. A power our attacker can never take away the power of choice. We can choose love. In the first century, Roman soldiers were allowed to have any conquered citizen the privilege of carrying their gear, their shield. You know, maybe not the weapons, but all their armor, and it would be heavy. And they'd say, You can take this for me, and they'd have to go one mile with them. To prevent total abuse of that power, Roman law demanded that at the end of that mile the soldier had to release that citizen and then choose another one for the next mile. And so imagine being pressed into this unexpected service while you're on your way to do some errands. You know, you were sent out to get some goat butter or something, I don't know, back in the first century what they ate. If you're now forced to carry the soldier's heavy gear, what would your reaction be? Like, the soldier says, hey, take it. That's the law. Or you 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 get toasted. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you do what you're asked for by the soldier. But instead of ruminating on how awful the situation is, this sucks, I had to get goat butter. Or how much bad fortune you had, instead you take time to rehumanize the soldier. Stick with me for a minute here. You rehumanize the person that has been offending you, who has pressed you into service, and you force yourself to see that this person is also made in the image of God, and that God actually loves this person. It takes time, friends, you have to step back and create that space. Although this person is an extension of an oppressive state, he is part of a system that has exercised of violence as a tool. I'm not sure the world has changed that much since ancient Rome. And you recognize that you're indeed at war, but not with him. It's a giant system. You're at war with the bad ideas that have put the two of you in this situation. So at the end of that mile, when the Roman soldier releases you from your service, you instead offer to keep walking with them, the second mile. Think, for it. Think for about this for a moment here. The first mile might have been oppression, but the second is freedom. The first mile might have been compulsion or obligation. The second mile is an exercise of your own volition. And it's the second mile thinking that allows the kingdom of Christ to rule and pervade and infiltrate. It's difficult indeed, but it's not impossible. A couple of summers ago, I I took my family to Vernon. We were visiting some relatives out there and we, of course, every time we go through the Okanagan during the summer, we, we buy fruit. I mean, you all do, too, right? I mean, plums, peaches, apricots oh, especially come from Calgary, sometimes we, we, we just get apples or crab apples, sometimes a pear. But we load it up on fruit, and so I brought together a, a bag of assorted fruit for my friend John. <laughs> and I connected with him, I was telling him about our summer, he shared with me a little bit of my, his summer with me, too. And then he started launching into a rant about the neighbors. He had a kind of a real big fight with the neighbor right beside him to the point where he nailed like a rubber snake on the fence post and pointed it at the house. It was that bad, okay? And I got to hear both sides of the story because like his neighbor Alan started coming to our church, I think in Vancouver, because he wanted, you know, to make friends so I could kind of like be on his side. Well, he talked about each of our neighbors in very negative connotations, all the different bad stuff that was going on. And after a few minutes of listening to his rant, I just, you know what, John, I'm going to pause you right there. I can only listen to so much of this stuff. I'm sorry that you feel this way about your, your neighbors because it's not been my experience with, with them. I wonder how those neighbors must feel about you. And I could feel immediately the tension mount. The air suddenly got thick, like Jello, if air can do that. And I pressed forward with saying, John, I wonder what their side of the story is. There's always two sides to every story. And it was at that point that John said nothing, and he just gave me back the big bag of fruit I just handed him. He said, you self-righteous preacher. And he yelled some obscenities, some colorful four words and adjectives at my face. And then he went back to his own house, shut the door, slammed it in fact. Not necessarily a happy ending to this encounter, right? However, it was an exercise of refusing to let fear of conflict or verbal bullying dictate the terms of the relationship. I extended love, grace, and patience, a lot of it. But the win for me was that I didn't look at John as the enemy. I didn't write him off. I constantly had to fight within myself to remind myself that he too is a child made in the image of God of God, God loves him just as much as God loves me. Friends, do we ever get to that point where when we're in that hot situation that we can say, you know, God loves that person just as much as he loves me? Boy, I actually got to that point where I'm going, man, this is kind of cool, you know, like I'm getting hot and bothered, but I'm not so hot and bothered I'm not distracted by the focus, which is God loves this person. How can I love him back? He refused. But I saw John as a human being. Most likely a victim of a system that taught him that wrong was right, that hate was justified, and that violence was godly. He's from the military. You have to learn how to fight an enemy. How else are you going to do that? Friends, we are indeed at war, but not with people. Our fight is for people. We're at war with the bad ideas that have put us each into the situations that we're in, with our would be oppressors and enemies. Friends, again, pursuing love may not always work right away. Like it just, that was one of my last encounters with John before we moved back to, to Calgary. But Jesus lived this radical, non violent enemy love in the way that he lived and that he died, and he's called us to do the same as followers of him. He taught us that this was the only way. To advance his kingdom. So friends, if Jesus is indeed Lord, he will make a difference in how we live. He will make a difference in how we react and respond in our times of trouble, in our times of conflict, in our times of pain. Let's follow in his footsteps. That's the invite for us today. Let's turn the other cheek. Let's walk that second mile. Let's exercise that love for our enemies. Friends, if Jesus is Lord of our lives, if he is our king, how does that change how we live let's remember that the prayer that jesus taught us to pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven would you pray with me let's pray lord you are our king thank you for being a god of love not of fear and your kingdom has no boundaries has no borders Yet it is a way of living that makes every day filled with purpose and meaning. Lord, you designed us to live in a community without division. Help us to extend your kingdom of peace as we turn the other cheek. As we go the extra mile with others. As we allow you to be the Lord of our lives, the King. Our fear doesn't stand a chance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're feeling the call, if you're hearing God calling you today to be a citizen of heaven, a citizen of Christ, in the kingdom of Christ, talk to somebody. We have prayer teams here who are just up here at the front. And uh, if you'd like to pray with them, they're here. We also would invite you to uh, email, if you want to interact that way, prayer at sunwestchurch.com. We would love to pray with you. Let's remember that prayer that Jesus taught us. May be on earth. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have to wait till we die, friends, to experience this kingdom. It is here, it is now, and it is ready for you. We want to invite you to uh, enjoy some fellowship in the foyer, also into the parking lot, but also uh, if you're here for starting point, we want to remind you that it is just in the room behind the Welcome Center. It starts right after this uh, morning service. Thank you so much for coming with us. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week. Take care. Um mm-hmm.